The congregational meeting, as you have heard, follows this worship service, and we've each been given about 28 and a half seconds to make a report and cast our vision for the future so that we uh, can expedite our business. Uh, but I do want to take this opportunity to tell you uh, how deeply I appreciate being here with you, working with Steve and all of our staff, and uh, showing up here each Sunday and seeing all of you is, is really a gift. Um, it feeds me and, and returns to me far more than I'm sure I'm able to give. And uh, so thank you for that privilege. Every, everything, it seems, is quantifiable these days. And at the congregational meeting, you may receive a, a pie chart of financial information. Uh, in our office, we have this multi-page statistical report. It analyzes everything. Uh, and uh, we have this vast data bank in Louisville, Kentucky, that just keeps all these records. It helps us define ourselves, I guess. Uh, we can quantify the quality of teachers and schools, it would appear. We, we can measure a person's popularity. We can keep track of our investment returns. We can measure a neighborhood's walkability. Seems like everything is measurable these days. No more so than in the world of sports. I, uh, my, my one son did an internship with the Phoenix Suns and, and the entire internship involved watching film of their players and uh, doing statistics of what each player did for the entire all 82 games of the season. Just incredibly uh, boring work, I would think, but that's what they wanted him to do. Uh, I heard this past week that we, uh, are, we the Jacksonville Jaguars, who else, uh, need a new quarterback, but we may not draft Teddy Bridgewater because his measurables aren't what they need to be. In particular, his hands are too small, we are told. And so how could we risk a number one draft choice on a person with small hands, regardless of the fact of how successful he, he was in college? So we can measure the church in statistics and pie charts. Uh, we can look at numerical trends. Uh, the, another way of going about that would be the Bread of Christ ministry uh, that we uh, enjoyed this past fall, a tremendous way of learning about who we are, where we've come from, and where we're headed. Today, the two texts that will be read for this fifth Sunday in Epiphany speak to the community of faith about who we are, about how we can measure uh, where we're headed. And so uh, the first reading today uh, is uh, from a, a prophet that we're not really sure who it is. Uh, we've given him a name, but we really don't know his name. Uh, and then the second reading is from a prophet whom you will quickly recognize. The first reading is a, a stinging message, kind of like alcohol poured on an open wound. The second word read is more like uh, adrenaline in the body that causes the body to to get up and move. One is a criticism, no, a rejection of the religious life of that 
faith community. The other is a creative word which will constitute a new community and a new world neighborhood. So let us listen for the word of God first as it comes to us from the 58th chapter of Isaiah. Shout it aloud, do not hold back. Raise your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their rebellion and to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways, as if they were a nation that did what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come to them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet, on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other. You can't fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a person to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed, for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is it not, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen to loose the claims of, the, of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry, to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not turn away from your own flesh and blood? Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and God will say, Here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with the pointing of finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your night will become like the noonday sun. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything, but is thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hidden. No one, after lighting a lamp, puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that you may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, let me start with a, a little trivia question. How many ponies did it take to operate the Pony Express? A lot? Zero. They didn't use ponies. They used horses. But really, now. But they didn't want to call it the Horsey Express or the Horse Express. 
I just thought that sounded funny. Descriptive words become labels over time, and they, they capture our imagination and forge our thinking. I was, uh, when I was in seminary, I was seeing a therapist for uh, an, a, a while, thinking that this would be a good time in my life to work on self-growth and preparation and, and dealing with some things in my life and in my past. And one day I, I asked my therapist, uh, what, is, what, diagnosis, what, what diagnosis are you writing down on the page? And he said, situational depression. I said, I don't feel depressed. Well, I need to put something down to get paid by the insurance company. And <laughs> this, is the lowest, this is the lowest diagnosis I can give. I pondered those words. Situational depression. A label that I took on for myself, that I tried on like clothes that I found in the lost and found to see if they fit and might even be mine. I, I had a diagnosis. I walked around with it. it. I carried it with me. You know, we all have words that have been used to describe us. Some we think fit, some don't. Some we like, some we hate. Some of you probably had nicknames that you hope will forever remain secret. And I do too, and they will remain secret. (laughs) Some labels hurt. Some actually help and bring comfort. When Peggy and I, uh, we had just one son, Bill, and he was about a year and a half old, and one day he became very sick. And uh, to make a long story short, as, you know, as parents, when your child gets sick, the first thing you want to do is figure out what the problem is. Well, we didn't know. He was very sick. The doctor, the pediatrician didn't know. Finally, we took him to the hospital. Many tests over a couple of days. Finally, they figured out he had something that had a name. Like, like Adam and Eve and the animals, when you are able to name something, it kind of gives you some dominion over it, and so we were so thankful when we heard this name, even though we didn't know what it meant. It was viral meningitis, and we, we knew then what we were dealing with and what the prognosis was. Well, sometimes labels can help us understand people's difficult behaviors. We're not sure why someone starts out a project with Olympian energy And then after a while just begins to drop the ball and not show up at committee meetings. What happened? Until a spouse makes sense of it with two simple words. Manic depressive. We know a dad who seems absent all the time. And when he's around he seems unhealthy. And and we wonder what is going on until a son says the word alcoholic. And so then we can think about all those behaviors that now make sense because of that one-word label. But nowadays, you know, social workers are trying to help us look beyond those labels. They want us to look at the matrix of relationships, the history of a person, the social context of our lives. So, for example, uh, post-traumatic stress 
If we look at a person through the lens of post-traumatic stress, we may be asking questions not so much about why is this person so anxious, but rather what kind of strength have they brought to bear that brings them to be able to survive so well? Why are they able to to achieve so much, to be so resilient? What is it about them? What what assets do they have that are allowing them to overcome in the midst of their struggles? And so there is almost a reversal, an emphasis on the creative adaptation that we can achieve in the midst of our struggles. I think about families where a teenager or a child is, quote, acting out, and they're the focus of the problem. They're, they are the problem. And yet, in some ways, if we look at it holistically, that teenager may be the healthiest person in the family. Their behavior may be the canary in the mind that is telling everyone else that there's something wrong here. And so, we need to rethink labels. Jesus is relabeling his followers in today's scripture reading. He's giving a new name to those who would want to follow him. He starts out, as Steve uh, talked about last week, with words like blessed, fortunate, lucky. You are so blessed. And today he continues, you are salt, you are light, you are the salt of the earth. Every cell in our bodies and every cell in all living things needs salt. In ancient times, salt was a precious commodity. It, It was something left over in the ground from the seas when the seas covered everything. And somehow in our bodies, we remember that and we need salt. Nowadays, salt is cheap. It's just manufactured. But back then it was prized and it was pricey. It was mined. And people got rich off the mining of salt. At great banquets, distinctions were made between those who sat above the salt and those below the salt. In Orthodox churches today, in the baptismal liturgy, after the child uh, has been wedded with the water, Salt is put on them with the words, may you be preserved for eternal life. I doubt that they use a salt shaker like this, but salt nonetheless. When Jesus gives his friends a new label in the Sermon on the Mount, he is implying that there is something essential and of precious worth in them not just an ordinary uh, flattery or blessing for them. Jesus is, remember, continuing to speak of those same people that he spoke to in the Beatitudes. The poor, those who mourn, those who are humble, those who are hungering and thirsty, those who are merciful and peacemakers, those who are reviled and rejected. They were labeled by their culture as losers, in other words, as weirdos, as outcasts, as problem people. And Jesus says, no, you are blessed. You are fortunate. You are salt of the earth, essential to it. You are light 
in darkness. We are, all of us, at times, in one or another of these painful circumstances. And because sometimes we do choose to be merciful, to be uh, peacemakers, we are the salt of the earth, the light of the world. Not because of our virtue, not because of how moral and upright we are, but because of how broken and poor and peaceable we are. We share in the ministry of Christ and in the suffering love of Christ, and in so doing, we are salt and light. All of us together, not individually. Don't think about this as your personal journey, your individual achievement or bar to get over. This is who we are together. Not just those of us who wear robes, but all of us, not just Sunday, but every day. I think we at Riverside sometimes have a hard time accepting the new labels that Jesus gives us. I think sometimes trying to receive something as a gift that we have not been able to achieve, that we cannot control or manage, It's hard. Salvation by grace, Luther said. Those to whom Jesus offers the name salt are those who have been stripped bare, who know that only mercy can save them now. Salvation cannot be earned. It is by the love of God that we receive it. The wisdom of the sacraments point to this mystery. Julian of Norwich wrote, A small thing in the palm of my hand, that is all the world. And I ask, how can it survive? And the answer came, it survives because of God's love for it. The images of salt and light walk us out of the room of statistical reports. Where did I put them? Oh, they're up here. These statistical reports and pie charts, they're, they're useful. There's a place for them. But today, I think Jesus in Scripture is asking us to think about something beyond ourselves. Salt and light exist not for ourselves, not to measure ourselves, but for the neighborhood, for the world. We are on a spiritual journey together not to perfect ourselves, not simply to pat ourselves on the back, but rather to serve as Christ serves in the world, to be the presence of Christ in the world. And so the Pony Express may be semi-fictional, a mislabeling in some way, but may we receive the gift of identity as salt and light by the grace of God. May it be true for Riverside. May it be true. Amen.